Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. (laughs) Good morning. I think everybody's kind of asleep. Uh, Not you. Not you, right? You're awake. How many of you actually got here today and when Alex said that, you learned for the first time that it was daylight savings time? (laughs) Our phones change automatically. Did you know that? Hello! (laughs) Listen, I'm going to go ahead and get really loud today just to help us out. You're like, that's every week. I know. Um, I have this, this... fear. I don't know if you have this, but when you're the pastor of the church, what you don't want to do is be late, right? And so I I have next to my bed, my phone, right? But then then I actually have a watch, like an analog watch, because I need to make sure that the thing has changed. Does anybody else do that? Like you're so, none of you are nervous. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. That's totally fine too. No. So we made it, and you made it, and I would say at about 10 o'clock, some people are going to come wandering in, and we're going to stop, and we're going to welcome them, um, and it'll be fun. Hey, the t-shirts are free, okay? So some of you are sitting there going, I don't need a t-shirt. They're free, though, and you got four more weeks that we get to wear these, right? I came in with a white shirt on. I was like, oop, forgot, so I got, I got it on. If you would like to join us in just celebrating the hope of Jesus, okay, no pressure. I just said that really, really condemning. I apologize. If you would like a free shirt, go get one as you leave. We would love to give you one. Uh, We're in this series, Give Hope, but this is more than a series. Um, This is a vision God's been stirring in our heart for the last five years. And I was saying to people this past week, um, we had some gatherings early in the year kind of casting this vision, but we've been casting this vision for, for the past three years pretty hard. And you've probably heard a lot of this language coming through. But our vision night about three weeks ago was kind of leading up to the culmination for me um, of, of bringing this to the church. And last Sunday, first of all, I went an hour. And so apologies um, not typically that long-winded, typically am that long-winded, but don't typically go that long. But to get that out, you have no idea how good that felt to be sitting on something for five years and be able to share it all and say, this is where God's taking us. Not to be a church that's about ourselves, but to be a church that's about the world, coming to know the Jesus that we've come to know, right? It's, it's not just what he wants to do through us, but it's what he wants to do in us. And so we've said the primary goal of this give hope vision, the primary goal is 100% engagement by those who call this place home. And what I mean by 100% engagement isn't necessarily that you'll give, though we would hope that all of us would. It's this idea that we are going to grow in our generosity when it comes to our own freedom, when it comes to belonging, and when it comes to obedience. That those three areas, and so last week was freedom, this week we're going to talk about belonging, next week we're going to talk about obedience, but what does it look like when the church, the people of God, get it right? What happens to the world around us if we become free, if we understand what real belonging is and not false belonging? 
then we offer that to the world and we begin to obey what God has asked us to do, not because we have to, but because we get to. What, what kind of impact would that kind of church have in the world today? So the primary goal of this Give Hope vision is that people who have hope would start acting like it. Stop hiding it. Stop hoarding it. Those are two H's. If I could come up with one more, we'd have another sermon. <laughs> but let's give it. Let's let it be so huge in our life that it just overflows. And, and then the secondary goal of raising $11.1 million just so we can bring hope to this world. And again, that's not much about us. That's about what, how can we become an indispensable commodity to our community? Because a church that is an indispensable commodity to his community is a church that puts the community before itself. And that's actually what Jesus did when he came and died on a cross for us, is he put us before him. That's pretty powerful. And we believe if we begin to let God do what God wants to do in us, that the world can't stop what he's going to do through us. But right now, what's stopped by what God wants to do through us is our own limitations because we hold back what God wants to do. And so this give hope vision is huge. It's why we're spending these six weeks. It's why we've said, this is what we believe God. So we're just going to keep unraveling it. Is that cool? And Natalie said it. I'll share a little bit more. But this advanced commitment night on Friday is going to be powerful. We're going to get here at 630. And we're going to walk this property and pray that God's anointing would be utilized in this space. And that when people come, and it's not just about people coming. We understand if you build it, they will come. It's not a reality. But what we want to build is where people can come and find hope. But we also want to take that everywhere. We want to see God go into those places. And so we're about transformative power over numerical power, just to let you know. I would rather see in my, my time left on earth more transformation in people's hearts than more butts in seats. I'm just kind of tired of trying to build big things when God's already done everything he needs to do to change hearts and lives. If people come, great, let's build bigger tables so they have a seat in the family of God. That's important. But let's spread those tables out in our homes, in our communities, across this world. Because we're the people of God and we're the church of God. And Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell don't prevail against it. Like, do you know that? It doesn't matter what's going on in the world today and it's tragic. But the gates of hell don't prevail against the church. Like, we win. What's right wins. Good wins. It's not just in the movies. It's the reality of God's story. And so we cling to that hope. That's our hope. This confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. He absolutely is who he says he is. And he's absolutely going to do what he said he was going to do. He hasn't stopped yet. And so he won't. And so that's what this is, this is what's driving this whole thing. So last week we talked about freedom and uh, Matthew, the tax collector, who could say that because he had been freed from everything that that represented in his life. That free people actually go free people and what God is, what is God asking us to surrender that's holding us back to be a people that is, aren't just free inside, but is free outside. That has margins in our life and our time and our talent, our treasure, so we can use those to reach people, so we can grow the kingdom of God because God has asked us to join him in what he's doing. That was last week. This week, we're talking about belonging. And here's the question I would ask. What steps do we need to take to bring the DNA of biblical community to the people who share the tables we sit at? 
or that we share our tables with. And when we say biblical community, let me define this again because I'm not just talking about gathering together and having a kumbaya session. That doesn't change people. I'm talking about coming together and actually creating space to be fully known in all my good and bad. I have good, but I have bad. And so the good in me, let's give God praise for that. The bad in me, that's on me. And so I bring that before the Lord. I bring that before you and I say, we're not a perfect church. We're pretty imperfect. I don't get it right. And by the way, if I limited to preaching what I live well, it would be really, really, really short list. (laughs) I'm often up there preaching to myself. Is that okay? That that become true about us, that man, we have this desire to get it right, but we're only gonna get it right with Jesus and not outside of Jesus. And so what does it look like then to be known? What does it look like to be able to be, to trust enough, to be transparent, and say, this is, this is me, right here. And people in a room don't go, ah! But we sit in the room and we hold that. And we say, you can trust us with it. And you are vulnerable enough to let us speak into it. Because we only grow and heal and discern in community. You don't do it by yourself. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's what this culture is selling you as individuality. It's destructive. Don't help your kids become individualists. Help them become fully dependent on Jesus. And so we hold it. So it's known be known. It's this trust that brings transparency. It's this accountability. What's God asked you to do that you're not doing? How can we help you do it? Isn't that fun? Versus, hey, what'd you do bad? (laughs) I hate that kind of accountability. I mean, it's necessary. I mess, I mess up. I messed up already this today. Anybody else? Right? And then it's the spirit leading. We can't do this without the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, I had to go so the spirit can come. And so it's the spirit in me. There's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same one in you. And we get to work together to do what God is asking us to do. And if one can slay a thousand and two can slay 10,000, why do we keep going it alone? Synergy. Right? So we're going to a table that Jesus sat at. So stand with me as we read the word of God because it's the most important thing we'll read all day. And we respect God's word. It is life. It is a double-edged sword. Cuts to the quick. To the deepest places of our hearts. And so we go to Luke chapter 19. Zach. Yes. You ever wonder if Jesus called him Zach? doesn't look like it. (laughs) Starting in verse one. Isn't it fun to read God's word? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be with the guest of a sinner. And Jesus was doing this a lot. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. This is the word of God. And so we pray, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So as we're talking about give hope, I want to share something with you that I think I got. You ever, you ever get a text, somebody texts you and it's like, hey, read this, it's really good. You ever get that, anybody? Participatory, come on, this will help us stay awake, right? And by the way, today if you fall asleep, I'm going to come and sit next to you. No, seriously, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be fun, though. Anyway, I got this this morning. I want you to hear this with hope in mind, with bringing hope, with giving hope, with overflowing with hope. Think about it this way. We expect to find him, Jesus, in reward, happiness, power, righteousness, justice, perfection, victory, and status. However, Jesus teaches that God can actually be found in more ordinary things like poverty, grief, humility, hunger, mercy, longing, surrender, and persecution. God comes to us disguised as small and suffering things. <laughs> oh, may we bring hope to those places because we've experienced them and we celebrate that we have so I want you to say, believe, 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 believe. stick it out, stick it out. Lean, in. lean in. I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> hey, if, I mean, if you just knew what was swirling around, you know, <laughs> you got to find it and then get, so lean in, lean in. <laughs> create space. Okay. Believe, stick it up. Oh, good. Okay, we'll do it again together. <laughs> I did say participatory, didn't you? Some of you are like, why the way? Because he's going to sit next to me any second. <laughs> Believe, Believe, stick it out, stick it lean, in, lean in, create space. Create space. All right, we're going to get to that in just a second. Let me talk for a little bit about belonging. Jesus knew what was at the core of Zacchaeus' need. Do you believe that? He just knew. He knew what was at the core of Zacchaeus' need, and it was belonging. And I want to unpack this culturally and scripturally, if I can. All research today, are you okay if I give us a little bit of research, and we'll talk a little bit more about Zacchaeus as we get to the bottom here. But I want us to understand belonging from different perspectives, because I actually think it's our greatest human need. Matter of fact, all research that is out there today that we've been able to do, all of it, says the belonging is our primary human need. And yet many of us are not experiencing that, and we need to find out why. Some of us are experiencing it falsely, and some of us have found it in a way that God intended it, and man, you are flourishing. 
in the words of this weekend, which was a powerful time at the Women's One Conference. Powerful. And I pray that God, that bears fruit in this church and in your homes and in your lives. So belonging our primary human need beyond food and shelter. Now this is what research shows. Beyond food and shelter, nothing promotes human flourishing like having a people and a place of belonging. That's research. Research confirms that income level, marriage and children, and perceived security. Did you get that? Perceived. We're only fully secure in Jesus. Perceived. All pale in comparison to belonging in promoting sustained joy in a person's life. All of it pales. We long to belong. You can write that down. You can even say it personally. I long, and I'm, I'll confess it right here, right now. I long for that. Long to belong. And Zacchaeus was no different. It's why he climbed a tree. And where are people in our culture today climbing trees? Desperate to belong. And when was the last time you looked up to find them? When was the last time we looked up to find them? The church, it's God's creation to set the lonely in family. The church is God's plan to set lonely hearts in family atmospheres. The church is God's full design to create space at tables so people can come to God and be part of his family. And, and so we say this, and I want you to hear this. Our central offering as a church, what we deem most important, is not the Sunday morning. Ha! It's not. And it's not something we just say, because that could be true. It's what we believe. So you ask, what is the central offering? Thank you for asking. The central offering of our church is biblical community. Whether you're in kids or youth or women's ministry or men's or together in small groups or wherever you are, you're working, you're out at the farm, you're on the playground, whatever it is you might be doing, the central offering is that you find a place where you are known, you can trust and be transparent, you can find accountability and be spirit-led in your life because you cannot do this by yourself. That's the central offering. That's what we want people to experience because that's where real transformation happens. That's where freedom happens, that's when belonging happens, and that's where we get excited about obeying because we get to do it together. That's the central offering. And so by inviting people to belong is the core of what we believe here, not just challenging people to commit. Did, did, you, did you get that? We're not asking you commit, 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 commit. We're saying belong, 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 belong. Belong. We can be committed all day, but we burn out. You belong, you can go forever. So what are we not talking about in regards to belonging? Well, let me, let me take some time to talk about what we're not talking about. I have, I have a really, um, I have a favorite author, uh, professor, published uh, books. Her TED Talk on vulnerability has over 40 million views. Brene Brown. Um, who has done a lot of research around belonging. 
And, and I'll be honest with you, in the Christian world, there's controversy with her, even though she claims Jesus as her faith, there's controversy around what she says because a lot of times it seems as if, as if it's leading towards greater self-centeredness. That would be my issue. But I want, I want to share some things that she said, and I want to unpack this culturally because we need to hear this. So while I, I don't agree with everything she says and writes, she's done some pretty amazing work by reminding us of the importance of vulnerability in relationships. If you ever, if you've not seen her talk on vulnerability, go watch it. If you've not seen her talk on empathy, go watch it. It will only serve to help you belong. Her need, the study of the need for belonging, the significance of empathy and interpersonal support. But in Braving the Wilderness, she makes some claims that relate to our topic and it stretches the classic understanding of belonging. I want to read what she has to say. Brown defines belonging as this. The innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Good so far? Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Agree so far? Me too. I mean, the fact that she says true belonging is something deeper than fitting in is really important for us to understand. But she continues by saying true belonging is not something we achieve or accomplish with others. It's something we carry in our heart. Once we belong thoroughly to ourselves and believe thoroughly in ourselves, true belonging is ours. Still agree? No. That's tricky, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that says, believe in yourself. But we read, we read scripture that says, believe in Jesus. And he will show you yourself. Because on your own, you will only find more of your false self. But he will take you to your true self. Because there is a true self and a false self. And by the way, the way that God shows you your false self, this is free by the way, the way God shows you your false self or your true self, let me change it. Are you confused yet? <laughs> Thank you. The way God reveals your true self is by revealing your false self. And the way he reveals your false self is pain and suffering. Some of you are like, sign me up, I'm in. That feels great. No, not in a culture that says do everything you can possibly do to not suffer. That the American dream is not suffering. And yet one of the only ways we are changed and transformed is through suffering. So, her theory goes, we must be secure in ourselves and then we'll belong wherever we are. It follows then that there will be many times when we don't fit in and when we'll be alone in the wilderness and yet still belong there somehow. <laughs> As if Zacchaeus was doing really well for himself in the tree. I understand that her thesis is grounded in data, recent data from psychological surveys, and I don't doubt that it's what the data says. But here's the thing. I do doubt that it's entirely true. So let's talk for a minute about self-esteem. Let's talk about the problem that keeps us from really belonging. Is that okay? We good so far? Did you hear Zacchaeus in here a little bit? We're getting there. In the late 20th century, the self-esteem movement was in full swing until it wasn't. Okay? And there's a reason why it wasn't. 
The reigning hypothesis stated that individuals were most fully satisfied when they had a high sense of self-esteem. This is research. Self-esteem went from a minor therapeutic theory to a dominant factor in wider culture, and thousands of parents began to instill large doses of self-esteem into their kids by calling your beautiful daughter princess. Play that out and find out how that works out. Princess rules the roost. Or is highly damaged because she's not treated that way. The rise of the self-esteem movement, however, was based more in hypothesis than in evidence. And the end of the 20th century brought about a few term studies, a few long-term studies aimed at proving its importance. Children were indoctrinated with self-esteem, among other factors, from early childhood into young adult. Okay, this was pushed. Some of us are products of it. But the research came to an incredible conclusion. I want you to hear this. Self-esteem had little to no positive effect on individual lives. For many, it had significantly negative effect. So what single quality was most identified with satisfaction and well-being? Well, in 1995, Roy Boymeister at Florida State published a substantial article demonstrating that the healthiest, most satisfied individuals in life are those who have a place to belong. Healthiest, most satisfied are those who have a place to belong. How many of you today in your life have experienced that to be true in your own life? In other words, our deepest satisfaction comes not from achieving personal autonomy, but through acceptance into unconditional love and unbreakable belonging to a people. I feel like I've read this somewhere. Like the Bible. Are, are, are we not describing the family of God when it operates well in a healthy sense? A seat at the table calling Zacchaeus down from a tree for more than better self-esteem? Jesus didn't call him down just to make everybody think better about him and him better about himself. He called him down to transform his heart. Change him from the inside out by inviting him into something bigger than himself where there was unconditional love and unbreakable belonging while everybody else was murmuring about how horrible he was. Jesus receives him and transforms him and you can see it in the way in which he acts. There's a repentance. So what does scripture say about belonging? It actually has deep roots in the biblical story, in Christian theology. Belonging takes several forms in scripture, but it's not complicated. It's not even a complicated theme. There's three levels of belonging in scripture. First, when something references something that is a possession of another, it belongs to me. It belongs to you. The second one, people are often said to belong to a fixed social group. Priests were part of the Levite division. Joseph to the house and lineage of David. Early Christians to the church. But there's a third and pretty profound sense of belonging described in scriptures. We belong to God and his family. A truth that itself gets expressed three ways in the New Testament. Here's the three ways. As people who love and believe in Jesus, here is what we want and need to hear. First, we belong to God. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, you belong to God. What do you mean I belong to God? Well, the Bible says that when I believe that Jesus did what he did, that my life is not my own. 
It was bought at a price. Jesus paid a price for it. So we belong to God. Second one, we no longer belong to ourselves or to this world. That's a hard one in America to understand and to get. And third, we belong to one another in the church. We belong to each other. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. Jesus believed that so much that when his mother and his real mother and his brother came to see him, they said, your mother and your brother are outside. And Jesus says, who's my mom and my brothers? But you are. To those who were following him, to the family that he was creating, to the family that he died to gain. We belong to one another in the church. We belong to God, not to ourselves or to the world. And belonging to him means belonging to his people, his family. It means belonging to the church that is more than a building. It's a people. So what's the good news here? Well, from the perspective of scripture, we can make a slight but essential change to Brene Brown's thesis. When we belong to God, not ourselves, we can then and only then fully belong to each other. When we belong to God and not belong to myself, we can then and only then fully belong to each other. Now remember how important this is, this belonging. It's, a, it's an innate need. It's primal. But why is it? Because it is the space that we grow, discern, and heal in. And when you are growing and discerning and healing, you have a better you to offer. You're not a perfect you until the day we get to stand before God and all things are made new. The already but not yet. But you are a better version. That way you bring Jesus, the Jesus you, into the conversation, not what the world says about you, because typically what the world says about you is the you that wounds everybody. But the Jesus you that is finding hope and healing and freedom brought to a conversation brings Jesus to the conversation. And Jesus is the one who heals. I hope you're hearing this and getting this. Brene's stated desire is to find that belonging is in our heart and not a reward for perfecting, pleasing, proving, pretending, or somewhat, something else that others can hold hostage or take away. I need you to hear this. Belonging is in our heart and not a reward for perfecting, pleasing, proving, pretending, or something that others can hold hostage or can take away. See, here's the thing. Because we're not fully self-aware, it's really hard to name myself because at the deepest places of who I am are conflicting values. They're incongruent. And so we have to be named by the outside. And we can't let just anyone name us from the outside. They have to pass three tests. You've heard me say this before. Tim Keller shares this all the time. I stole it, creatively borrowed it. I'm giving him credit, but it has transformed how I see who I am and who gets to name me. You don't get to name me. My wife and my family don't get to name me. The staff doesn't get to name me because they don't pass the test of the three questions. And here they are. The only one who can name you is the only one that will never let you down. Who's that? Yeah, maybe the God you put in a box lets you down, but that was the God you created, not the God who is. God never lets us down. First test, who doesn't base their love for you on performance? 
right? So far, two for two. And who do you want to be like in every way? So the only one that can actually name you is Jesus. And so he does. He comes and he calls you his. My child who had to do nothing to earn. And because of that, I become free from all the other naming. If, I'm, if, I'm, if I want to. Only belonging to God and through him to one another in the church can offer this secure position. Only God. Only his church carries that opportunity of belonging. And if you've experienced it, you never want to go without it. When the people in your life stop pointing out how horrible you are and start pointing out how good he is, it transforms you. It changes you. When we're secure in Christ, meaning we understand our true self, not our false self, we'll be established and rooted in how he has made us and we'll belong to him and in a sense to ourselves. True self, built on God's truth, not worldly lies. And we can become who we were meant to be, fully adopted and can secure children of God. We come home to ourselves in this significant sense. The layers of protection that have surrounded us like shells can begin to fall away and true spiritual transformation can begin. In Christ, we can find true belonging for true belonging is being simultaneously fully known and fully loved. Andrew Crouch shares it like this. Belonging results from being both known and loved. Being known without being loved is rejection. Being loved without being known is merely fitting in. But being neither loved nor known is being ignored and rejected entirely. Belonging in the kingdom is about being fully known and fully loved. And do you know that we can actually accomplish that because when we've been fully known and fully loved by God, we can turn around and do it. Mike, it doesn't matter what you've done in the world. I don't care what I find out. I will love you. Because that's what Jesus has done for me. So you can throw it all on the table. We're good because now it's in the light and we get to see God move and transform. And you've experienced that, right? I could go around the room and we could do this. For those of us struggling to feel a strong sense of belonging, then the question becomes, how do I belong? It was Zacchaeus' experience and what we've been offered through Jesus it's what every person who's looking for hope needs to be called out of the tree and invited to the table. So how do I belong? In view of the biblical vision for belonging, four steps toward a more complete spiritual belonging emerge. Believe, stick it out, lean in, create space. Wrote it down, didn't you? Smart. Let me give you these and we're done. Because if you want to, bless you, if you want to know what it means to belong, then you need to understand these four things. And commit to them. Believe. We say in our churches a lot, sometimes, a lot of times people will belong before they believe. And we're okay with that. It's welcoming people in as they are, right? 
And so they'll often belong before they believe. And in our churches, belonging before believing is true insofar as belonging roughly means feeling loved and welcome, which is absolutely vital and frequently comes before a saving faith. So that's true. However, with regard to formal belonging, which is what we just talked about, we invite people to believe in order to belong. Because the deep universal longing to belong leads us there. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who can satisfy it. To abiding faith in Christ and adoption into his family, a seat at the table, biblical community. Didn't you say that yesterday during the panel? You used those words. You're experiencing what? Biblical community. You said it, and I went, what? <laughs> How you're 15 years old and gets it. Yeah. Sorry, I just totally... You good? <laughs> you can't take people where you haven't walked. So we got to believe. And believing isn't just to say God exists. Believing is to say not only does he exist, but I want him to lead my life. Every moment of every day, he's not just my savior. He's my teacher because he actually can't be my savior unless he's my teacher. Unless he's my Lord. So believe. Second one, stick around. There's many causes for the lack of belonging in American culture, but the biggest one among all of them is transience. Transience, this sense of never landing, always moving. Sometimes we could call it running. Matter of fact, a lot of research has shown that there, this culture today, especially the younger generation, will turn down a promotion if they belong. If there's a great sense of community, real community, not false, they'll walk away from promotions of going somewhere. I've heard stories in this church where people come and said, we had an opportunity to leave, but we just can't leave what we found. That's the stick it out, if you will, stick around. There's nothing inherently wrong with transience and upward mobility, but we have to ask, what does this do to our souls? And how does our belonging to God and others suffer by frequent transition? Stick around. Believe, stick around, stick it out, however you want to say that. Three, lean in. Just believing in Christ, joining a church, and remaining in one place doesn't guarantee true belonging. We must consistently lean in. We must move towards others, embracing a life of interdependent relationship over a life of autonomy and independence. I got to tell you, this pandemic has been hard on pastors. It's been hard on everybody, but can I just talk for a second about pastors? Um, it is the highest attrition rate of lead pastors in the church today. They're leaving by the thousands. And in the midst of it all, I am so glad that I did a lot of identity work before the pandemic <laughs> hit. It's, it's my, who I am in Jesus rescued me. But I found myself at a pretty tough spot. I was angry. I was hurt. I felt betrayed. And I wanted to withdraw. I'm an extrovert, right? <laughs> that takes a lot. But it was, it was the only way I could see out. 
That's what I wanted to do, but my community wouldn't let me do. You're like, well, how did they know? Because I told them (laughs) that I was angry and hurting and betrayed. Right or wrong, true or not, it's where I was. And instead of withdrawing, the community pulled me in. And we got real. And we got to dive to the deeper places of what that was really all about. It's a thread in my life, this betrayal conversation. And it brought up wounds that I needed to go back and talk to God about. Find healing in. It's a journey that I'm still on. Why are you sharing all this? Withdrawal doesn't create belonging and sustain intimacy. When conflict arises within the community, move toward it. Seek resolution, not going to find people to talk about it so you can seek support for the way you feel. Go get resolution for the way you feel. Lean into it. Have the conversation. Matthew 5, if you know someone has a problem with you, go to them. Matthew 18, if you got a problem with someone, go to them. In both cases, you go. Man, if we were all just leaning in. When a need arises, step in and offer your support or resources. When others lack a place to belong, invite them into yours. Believe, stick around, lean in, lastly, create space. To gain a sense of belonging, make space for others to belong. Take the focus off yourself. I tell you, many of you will, will remember this. We had a, a sign when you walked in out here. It wasn't the logo. It was a sign that said, you belong here. <laughs> we got beat up on that one. Like all the time. You say that I belong. But I don't. All the time. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. That stinks. That's not what you want in the church, right? It's, what, it's, what, it's the way they felt. It's not not making fun of how they felt. It's the way we feel, but can I address it for a minute? To gain a sense of belonging, make space for others to belong. Take the focus off yourself. Too often, I can wait for others to check in on me, invite me over, put together a social gathering. But when I take initiative, whether it's inviting church friends to our home or offering to get coffee with someone outside the church, I usually find people quick to accept it. And my experience is that the more I take initiative to cultivate community for others, the more I feel that I belong with those people. I got a group of guys, we meet every Wednesday morning from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And we just talk about life and Jesus, and always someone brings a question. And every once in a while, someone can't make it, so there's an empty chair. Do you know what an empty chair means? That means I get to invite somebody. <laughs> and so, Matt, we, we invited, right? Yes, invited Matt. Why? Because I want people to experience what it looks like when you get to belong to something that's healthy and challenges you and pushes you. And grow. What was it like? It was very impactful. <laughs> Correct answer. this final step fits within the great paradoxes of Christianity if you want real life you have to give yours away if you want to find yourself you have to lose yourself so when we take the focus off our own need for belonging create space for others to belong we find ourselves surrounded by those happy to have us in their lives 
Zacchaeus wasn't struggling from a lack of self-esteem. He was struggling from no place to belong. Choices he'd made, yeah. And Jesus didn't come to give him back his self-esteem. He came to give him something to belong to. And his healing showed up within the community he hurt, not by running from it. He goes and says, I'm going to give half of everything I've back. Over half. I mean, just the fact that Jesus reached out in that moment and said, I want to go to your house. I want to sit at your table. I'm going to make space for you, Zacchaeus, when no one else wants to come to your house. I'm coming. Jesus had a house. He'd invited him to his. He stuck around. He leaned in. I got to believe he created space. Because that's what Jesus did for him. We belong not to ourselves, but to God. And through him to his people. At long last, our search for true belonging can have a happy ending. In Christ and among his people, we're fully known and we are fully loved. How in the world are we going to raise $11.1 million to bring hope to this world? Because by the way, hope to one soul doesn't have a price tag anyway. How in the world are we going to do it? We're going to do it by accomplishing the primary goal of freedom, belonging, and obedience. We're going to grow our, our compassion and our generosity in helping others belong. And if you don't feel like you do, now you've got four things that will help you. Believe. What's the second one? <laughs> Thank you. Golly, they just go. They needed to be more sticky. Stick it out. Lean in. Create space. You'll be preaching my message before we're done. Jesus came at the end of this passage to seek and save the lost. What have you come to do? Because if we're part of his kingdom, then that's what we've come to do. We expect to find him, Jesus, in reward, happiness, power, righteousness, justice, perfection, victory, and status. However, Jesus teaches that God can actually be found in more ordinary things like poverty, grief, humility, hunger, mercy, longing, surrender, perfection. God comes to us disguised as small and suffering things. I want you to hear from some of our own the story of how God is engaging their hearts in this Give Hope vision. Take a listen. Um, we've been giving since we you know, became members of the church, um, but I think the inspiration for the vision and wanting to reach more people and create more of a community within the community that we already have uh, is very inspiring. And I think the reason we give is because we can, we can see what it's helping and how it's helping other people. Well, and I think too, on top of it, we can give, but we want to. We're seeing um, what we're giving and what we're giving to and how that's affecting the church and the community. Being able to come to the food pantry and seeing everybody um, and, and thinking going forward, the space is going to be expanding so that more and more people um, are going to be affected in such a positive way. I mean, I think it kind of all started with the playground. Um, you can't go there and not feel something. 
um, especially having little kids. And I mean, I've been there countless times with our children and it's packed. And it, every single time we come, there's at least five families there. And just like how neat it is, because a lot of times it's nobody I recognize from church. So it's really being utilized by the community. And that's like huge. I think tithing in general is just ingrained in me. I grew up in a family um, where we did every week and it was always 10% and no matter what, that came first. A lot changes when then you grow up and you're in charge and then all of a sudden you're going to church and it's like, wow, okay, some of the things my parents did, where do I, where do we stand? It was a challenge for me at the beginning, for sure, to to donate and, and give some of our, you know, hard-earned money to the church, um, but just having, you know, the faith that I have in my wife and the faith I have in God to know that that's what we should be doing was just the the base. This whole campaign has got us thinking and has been challenging us of how are we living? Could we cut back in certain places to give more? But also, how can we be involved? We don't want to just give. We want to like show up and and like you always talk about with your time, treasure, talents, you know, like everything. The last year and a half, I've been more involved with my faith journey. And I think one thing I struggled with a lot personally was what talent can I give? I mean, you can give money and, and time, but like what talent do I have to give? And I had a really real struggle with it um, until this vision happened. And I was able to give a talent that I have and something that I'm very good at, um, which I never thought would be of use to the church at all. In this time, it's, it's important to try to make yourself uncomfortable. Everything we always did was yeah. comfortable. Um, and so now we're trying to make it uncomfortable. What has God taught us in generosity? I think it, he's taught you a lot more just by being with me. <laughs> I am generous by nature <laughs> and, and Matt is generous by nurture. <laughs> But I mean, I think God has continuously taught me too much is given, much is expected. And you want others to to feel God's love um, through through what you have and how you can help in any way, shape or form. Everybody, everybody needs help. And I think this vision is going to just bring more help to people and ultimately bring people closer to God, which which is what everybody needs. I think that the people that are in need should be relying on a church, should be relying on that community that comes from church. Because it's your neighbor. Well, it's your it's neighbor. It's your friend. Right. It's your, right. it's all people that you live right around. You want right. to see your area flourish. A hundred percent. What breaks your heart? Oh. That's not a fair question right now. <laughs> what breaks my heart is kids. And not knowing God's love. And and so just to to be able to offer that to the community, to people that don't know God's love is I mean and maybe it's not transforming parents or um, guardians, but maybe it's transforming them and the future. 
I, th I think like what would we tell someone that's looking to to give or increase what they're giving is it's so rewarding in a way that you don't see in anything else that you do. Even if even if it's something that you know you're successful with or you you do something really well and you're proud of yourself, it's it's so much different to know that you're giving to a cause that's so much bigger than you are. I would try to get involved on top of just giving because it's it's hard to just like give and not know what it's going to go to or not feel like oh, I'm not really like a part of it. Like there's so many different opportunities and programs and things like you figure out what you're passion is or what you like even semi enjoy and you start to meet people and and it's like all of a sudden this church that you walk in the doors is like your family and you want to then give more because you're seeing the return and you're feeling the reward of being um, a part of it if everybody can engage in just a little bit it it's going to have such a huge impact, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun for the church these next two years to see what's going to happen. I mean, it's so exciting, and if if you can't if you haven't seen it yet, like just wait because because you're going to. Are you crying? <laughs> you guys, thank you for sharing your hearts with us. Would you stand with us? It, in your in your books, I'm sure you've seen this commitment card. Um, we'll be sending out a video just kind of explaining this a little deeper, but this is a spiritual journey. That's what this is. Um, there's no pressure going to come from up here other than whatever God might be doing in you. And I would, I would, it would, it will be more that than us. I, I believe the king funds what the king wants. And we believe we've listened to God. And we're going to build something not for us, but for this community. So we can do more things like the playground, like the farm, like the things that are happening here. Um, Center for Independence, um, Teen Mother's Choices. All of these different things that we're able to do, we want to do more. That's what this is about. So just be praying about what God might ask you to do. And I'll say this as we close. This advanced commitment night will be big. Um, in Chronicles, David asked the leaders to lead out when they were, when they were funding the temple. And if this is something God is calling you to be part of, and again, we want to see every person part of it, not, not because of what we'll gain from it, but what will happen in you as your generosity grows. Because the greatest sign of following Jesus is that our generous heart grows. That's what it is. And so this Friday, 6.30, we're going to start by walking the premises. And we would love for you to come and be part of that night. It's going to be a blast. We're going to celebrate. And um, we're going to go first. And if you're saying, I want to be part of that because I believe in this, then please join us. God, may you have your way in our hearts. May you have your way through our church. And may you be loved by us as you love us. And may we learn what it means to belong and invite others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. Love y'all. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.